Welcome to Buffeting, the podcast where my wife Cass Ew. and I share our conversations on investing with you as we try to keep compounding capital so I don't have to go back to being a carpenter. And I don't have to go back working with real estate agents. <laughs> we hope you find it informative and entertaining. But we are not your financial advisors and nothing we say should be taken as investment advice. As always, do your own research, which is more fun. And now without further ado, on to the episode. The short's off. <laughs> <laughs> Our old short is off, a new short is on. <laughs> new shorts. It's always good to get new shorts, isn't it? You've got to have a set amount of shorts Look, in your cupboard. the thesis still stands, right? Fundamentally. Inflation's coming. Same reasoning through a different instrument. Build a bunker. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, I guess the first thing we'll talk about today is that we, at first, we were like really excited about shorting high yield debt and corporate debt yes that made way more sense yes because it's like at front of our minds was like what if the government comes in and bails these you know zones out yeah because there's such a big amount of money in big funds that yeah. are like connected to retirement funds and everything so bailout was like okay well how can we kind of protect against that so corporate Corporate debt exactly. seemed to make more sense to us. Exactly. Yeah. So there seemed to be less chance of the high yield and corporate debt getting bailed out, you know, as opposed to the other bond markets, you know, like the treasury bond market. But what we realized is that because we're not really betting on like an economic collapse, we're more specifically focusing on interest rates having to rise. And then maybe eventually that will cause some kind of recession. But at the start, we pretty much think that the first thing that's going to happen is interest rates are going to go up. And the thing that um, is most affected by interest rates going up is long-dated bonds, so bonds that are locked in for a long time. Mm. And what that means is that the high-yield ETF we were short, HYG, it had an average duration of four years. So what that means is that in about four years, all those bonds are going to be sold you know, or going to basically run out so they're getting paid a percentage for the next four years and then they get back their $100 they've given the company. So they actually get back the capital in four years. Mm. Okay, so that's something that I kind of, I knew, but I wasn't really thinking about it properly. And Well, we knew that it, ideally it's not long enough. Like when we bought the mm. options, like it'd be good if it was a longer term, but you yeah. know, this is junk debt, um, that you've got the default risk, which just makes it even worse. So it makes it even worse, but is that likely to happen? Yeah, we soon? don't. We're yeah. not. Our thesis is actually not tied to the default of these exactly. companies and the default of the debt. The thesis is tied to interest rates going up and it being a really poor return for you yes. for the coming years. Exactly. So a four-year run rate or a four-year a four-year term. Yeah, term. Um, when you've you've got bonds that are 10, 20, 30 years, it's actually probably not the most ideal spot to place to, your money in. To bet on a massive decline in price. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, when you run the valuation and you anticipate getting your hundred dollars back in four years time, you know, the earnings aren't quite worth as less as another bond ETF that's got the payments locked in for a long period of time. Mm. So Which is why we did L Q D because their term was longer. Ten years. Ten years. Yep. Still corporate because you know the thought of treasuries to me just seems like that's a treasury the bond. 
it's like tied to the government. It's like, but yeah, when you realize that the government, if they're raising interest rates, they can't come in and bail out bonds at the same time. It's like, well, maybe they can. I guess we'll see if they do. But it's yeah contradicting each other. It's like a contradictory action. Yeah, exactly. It's stimulating while you're tightening, which wouldn't make much much sense. Yeah, you know. Because all the times in the past, there's been no inflation. There's been no reason why they couldn't come in and bail out. There's been no consequence. But this problem they're trying to solve right now, or they will probably hopefully have to solve, and they hopefully will get motivated to solve, is to stop the inflation. And for that, you have to make things tighter in the financial yeah. system. So thinking more deeply about like what exactly we thought was going to happen, um, made us think to look for something that's a bit more longer dated. So that just means that the bonds that the, in the ETF that we're now shorting, so just to be clear what we do, we've done now, we've sold out totally of the puts and um, of the puts from HYG and LQD um, at a loss. <laughs> yeah. I think they went up a little bit and then obviously the market's very illiquid. So that's something everyone should be aware of too is that if you want to sell, you, the orders may not go through on the day and that's what happened to us like so basically we're like okay do we wait a bit until hyg and lqd go down again and then the options will appreciate you know because the the ratio when the etf moves like one percent your options move like 30 to 40 percent so that's where you get your leverage and that applies if it goes down as well so you can only lose 100 percent of your money but if you know HYG goes up five percent, stays up five percent, you know the option will. And I think we yeah. could have we could have held out and not sold and waited for the next Fed meeting and mm-hmm. probably like the days before the meeting they probably would have turned us a profit Maybe. or the days after it. Yeah. But when you're like you're trying to keep the bigger picture in mind. Yeah. You just gotta kind of disregard these little losses as you know we probably rushed into it because. We wanted coverage. Yeah, it's better to have... And that's what we learned from the last thing with the virus is mm. that like, it probably wasn't the best possible thing to do to just like buy puts on those travel companies. But we did something. We just, yeah. You we have to do something. to quickly do something to have something there. Yeah. And then as you develop more of your theory yeah. and you have more data, you can make a more you know refined calculation. Yeah. Which is, I guess, what we feel like we've done now that we're we've moved over to TLT. Yeah. Yeah. And the way you can do it is you can go online and do what's called uh, NTA um, calculation. So there's a lot whole bunch there's like when you're looking at valuing an asset of some sort, you have to either do a discounted cash flow or a net ten or N, NPV analysis, sorry, it's called NPV analysis. Mm-hmm. And the only difference between a discounted cash flow and an NPV is that the MPV has an end date. So it's it's like a discounted cash flow, but it's only for like four years. So you only, and then you get by capital. And if you do that on a net, what did I say it's called again? NPV. NPV analysis. Yeah. So that just makes <coughs> up net, net, net present value. It's called. getting your, your payment back that you originally yes. bought the bond for. Exactly. Because you do get that back and that is worth something. Exactly. So it's not an, an average DCF calculation. Exactly. Which exactly. is something new we've learned. <laughs> exactly right. Yep. And that's where bonds are different because a company, there's kind of like the assumption that it will go on forever. Mm. 
And even though it probably won't, all companies are kind of valued that way that you have like a terminal growth rate at the end. So, and then like, you know, obviously not a huge amount of the value is from like 30 year to a hundred year, but there's some value in that. Mm. Anyway, getting a bit deep now, but yeah, if you go online and you do an NPV analysis on a bond, but you change it from four years of cash flow to 25 years of cash flow, mm-hmm. right? And then you change your required return or your discount rate or your percentage that you want, you know? And that percentage that you want, that's what changes when interest rates change. So when the interest rate goes up, your required return has to go up as well because now you can get more money in the bank. So by doing that and by seeing that in, in reality, you know, then you can see how much the value changes a lot more for a 25-year-old, 25-year bond compared to a four-year bond, even though the four-year bonds are pretty shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's a bit confusing, but when you start running the numbers and using some of those calculators, even if you just use the ones online, you know, I think you can do it with a spreadsheet too if you're really smart. But yeah, just use the calculator online to work out, you know, what the how much the value changes. You can see that, yeah, a long data bond, even if it is treasuries, changes a lot more in value. That's what kind of, I don't know, makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable though, because it doesn't take into account any behavioral uh-huh. element to yeah. that. So I think people would generally be more motivated to sell their corporate bonds ETF than their treasury bond ETF, even though it's a much worse investment when you've locked your capital in and you're getting that return for 20 years. But it's a treasury bond and you've got to to think about what's going to make that person go in and sell that ETF um, to move their money elsewhere. Yeah. And especially when you look around and there's like, where else would people put their money at the moment? Yeah. Um, I, I think about the incentive that tricked like the catalyst to make that change. Exactly. And I think there's like stronger catalysts for those corporate ETFs than a treasury ETF. Yeah. Yeah. Intuitive. Even if the calculation is way better. Yeah. Intuitively, it makes sense. Like the, yeah. the, the way, the other way that kind of manifests itself is the high yield bond ETF. If interest rates are going up. Well, they're having like a lot of bonds run out and get $100 back every two, three, four years, right? Because they're short dated. So they can then reinvest that that capital in the, the newer interest rate, like the mm. newer higher interest rate. Yeah. And that's where even though it's worse, they're worse bonds, you're kind of still protected in a way because you're going to be able to roll over. But yeah, the difference you're is nimble, you're more nimble. The company, yeah, yeah the, the ETFs are more, are more nimble. But- the end of the day, the current yield on the high yield bond ETF is four point, whatever it is, four point three percent, I think, and that's like crazy low. And I do still believe that if interest rates go up quickly, or or people start to perceive that interest rates will go up quickly, then that could still crash, and we we could still have been have done fine. I think it's still a fine investment, but it's just not as specific, if that makes sense. Yeah tricky but yeah we're always could potentially change our mind we always, like, change, we our always mind. change our mind we always try and improve things that we're doing and we always try and make it better so i believe that this is a better option 
And um, we happened to stumble upon, we were listening to Mike Green, was it? Mike Talk, Green, yeah. Talking, talking to, I'm not sure what the other investor's name is, but it's, it's, it's a real vision interview. I'll like, I'll link to it afterwards, the podcast. And he lays out the exact thing that we're talking about. But this is like two years ago. This is before the coronavirus. And at that point, I think the TLT ETF was... He actually mentioned the TLT ETF. And he says, at that point, two years ago, it was paying 3%. And he he was talking about a situation where if rates went up, Mm. you know, and you needed a 5% return, the ETF is going to fall 30%. So he's like using the same kind of math and same kind of thinking that we are, except that now the TLT ETF doesn't pay 3%. It pays 1.5%, which means that if you want a 5% return instead of a 1.5% return, the ETF has to fall by like 70% or something like that because you're not going to get a 5% return because the bonds are locked in for 25 years. Mm. So that's kind of, I feel like that's still too confusing. I feel like it's still kind of still not explained probably as, as good as I can. But um, yeah, do the numbers, and this is where like, you know, do your own diligence. You know, content. I think it's one. It's a really funny thing where you, when you're speaking of something potentially happening in the future, yeah, that's so foreign to what is happening right now. Yep, you can't really like appreciate the value of it in the moment. So like if if we do start seeing you know in the next couple of Fed meetings, yep. they actually do start raising rates because they have to, yeah. right? That you they've got to start dealing with inflation. Yep. Like this is really bad. It's really bad. They're yeah. letting it run away from them. They're still buying bonds. They're yeah. still pumping money into the market, yep. and they're not touching interest rates yet. Yeah. And so it's still foreign for people to be living in an environment where you know capital is expensive yeah 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 it's still kind of foreign people still aren't used to it and the reality is is that they have to start getting used to it and well they're going to see it happen is what i'm saying like yeah as interest rates do start going up and they're going to have to go up at, at the rate of change we have no idea but they're already you know too late they're already too late so how quickly do they have to be increased at what pace but as soon as that starts happening yeah. then people will sit down and be like um okay when's this going to stop happening and will it ever stop happening or I'm, are we locked into this now yeah i can actually see my dollars being eroded exactly i can actually feel inflation eating away my purchasing power now yeah exactly when right. it starts happening is it's almost like but you could see it's going to happen now yeah but then it will actually begin to happen. Why don't? Why isn't it appreciated the same? Exactly, exactly. So I was just going to read that thing from Druckenmiller. Oh yeah. That, that we saw that. So like the number of, and this is not a. Um, I mean, people are pretty happy to use the word cloning. They're happy to clone famous investors and their investment ideas and their investment styles. Mm. But that, that can just be like confirmation bias. Obviously, you can just find. You can find any. So there's so many investments and so many investors. You'll be able to find a somewhat intelligent person, you know, saying a positive thing about any one of your investments. Probably if you really try. But the amount of smart people who are now saying inflation is not transitory is getting ridiculous. Like David Einhorn, 
we just heard today mm-hmm. on that interview with Mike Green talking about how he does not believe it's transitory for a number of factors that we haven't even really considered that yet. Like he was talking about the underinvestment and he was talking about how because the stock market is so short-term focused and focused on buybacks and that kind of thing, the incentive for companies to actually make big long-term investments to sustain like the supply of things that we need like cement and timber and all that boring stuff like this isn't tesla tesla stuff yeah yeah exactly Stuff we need Mm, stuff you need and have very capital intensive structures to keep them going that need to be like kept up to date and renewed and when you're getting ridiculous returns in the market at the moment off tech speculative companies biotech bullshit yeah no one wants to like okay let's start building a a concrete plant plant. like what's your return on that exactly so he he was a tech company like everyone's just funneling their money into areas of non-productive growth exactly and he was saying that even though the prices for things like most commodities going up because people believe it's transitory a lot of the boards and these companies instead of going holy moly the price for copper or the price for whatever you know has gone up let's look at reinvesting in a you know re- look at investing in a mine expansion or mine most people think it's transitory so like oh we'll just wait and see we'll just buy back some more shares yeah it's a better return on it's our better, capital it's a better moment. return on capital <laughs> than investing because you know the prices is is you know perceived to be a short term thing but and they want to keep their shareholders happy as well exactly want to keep the share price high so this like obsession with share price and with managing earnings is also like a very negative thing for inflation because people are not used to investing growth. yeah people just want crazy growth but no one's actually thinking well what do we need as a society to keep the wheels turning yeah to keep people happy like exactly yeah cheap food cheap fuel cheap energy that's what you need to keep the economy healthy and keep average people you know who are just trying to go about their lives and live their lives to keep their lives in a going in a positive direction like it's really that's where the, the unfairness of it all kind of comes back to us talking about it is like you know people who've got capital people who've done well for a while have been lucky enough to do well mm. you know if you can own some assets property shares whatever classic cars you know anything it's going up in value right you're because laughing all the way you're the laughing all the bank and in the meantime what's how is the average person's budget being affected like power is more expensive food is more expensive oh lucky you you can get a five percent pay rise like it's not it's not equal so that's where you start to think like maybe that's where the asset prices have to come back down and you know potentially we will hopefully get wage growth because there's not a good supply of loads of employees so people people who are skilled who are doing valuable jobs Maybe they should go through a period of like 10, 15 years where they're getting real pay rises above inflation. Like, wouldn't that be fair and nice? Be great. So Yeah, it's a funny part of this whole inflation story Yeah, is that if the inflation is actually coming from people's wages, that's money going back to normal people. That's a good side effect of that happening. Yeah. But people actually have to come out and scream for these increases. They have to scream to get a piece of the pie. Um, Yeah. Because you can see how at the moment there's like a massive wealth divide just getting worse and worse. Yeah. 
with these asset bubbles. Exactly. Yeah. And um, companies, they're like all-time high margins across the board. Yeah. So clearly, you know, corporations, people, wealthy people are really benefiting at the moment. Yeah, they're doing fine. Um, so if that funnels down to average everyday people with wage increases, that's a good thing. But yeah, yeah. That has result. to result in a, a market crash. Well, margin at the very least, margin compression, which means the margins of companies go down, you get less profit. So if you want the share price to stay the same with less profit, you have to pay 50 times earnings instead of 25 times earnings. You have to agree to a, you know, a higher price. Mm. So that's where it affects the stock market. And that's where like maybe at some point we'll look back and say, look, we probably should have been shorting a lot of things, a lot of companies that were susceptible to you know wage cost increases. But then it comes down to people's perceptions as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, are we in a marketplace where people are even aware of the fundamentals anymore? Yeah. 25 times earnings seems normal to people now. I know. What were you hearing this morning about Apple? (laughs) Yeah. Like David Einhorn was talking about when he was buying Apple shares and he said when you backed out the cash, Apple was trading at six times earnings when he bought it. And at that point, people were people like negative. People were saying, oh, they're the next BlackBerry and like they're the next, you know, Samsung is going to take their lunch and all this kind of stuff. Like... It's crazy how perceptions change and that's why I like... And what is it trading at today? And that's where your perspective is always so amazing like on it by always focusing on like, okay, I know that the, there shouldn't be this value, but, but, what is. Is, but what is the catalyst yeah. to make people change their minds? Because at the end of the day, if people don't sell, things don't go down. Like that's the reality of it. And but, how far can that be pushed? Yeah. Like it's been pushed further than I thought was possible. Um, yeah, I think, so- you've, I think you've seen it like... Even the last two years, you've seen things go from the point where we're finding some things to do, like find interesting things to look at that weren't too expensive, to now being like, unless you want to buy something really old economy, then it's um yeah you can't really find much that's good good value, which is why we've become like so concentrated, mm. but also have done like a lot of research in the companies that we do hold, so we're pretty confident to like hold through stuff, I guess. Um, yeah, but that's, again, why I think, you know, the Fed really needs to come in and change these interest rates quickly because people, even if they do come in with a 2% increase, oh, yeah. that might not change anything for people. People might be in such a state of ecstasy and, yeah. you know, Roman Empire shit. <laughs> <laughs> Roman Empire. That, um, yeah, yeah. that I don't think anything <laughs> bad the, can happen. <laughs> let the wine flow. <laughs> it is a bit like that, yeah. But um, I'll read this Druckenmiller quote. So um, yeah. the problem is, I don't know how recent this is, but he, he says, you know, um, yeah, he mentions, you know, a 6.7% inflation rate. So like, it's probably quite recent they said this. Yeah. But yeah, so this is Druckenmiller. Uh, Historically, once inflation reaches this level, it becomes embedded in wages and corporate behavior such that it only falls in a recession. This occurs after the Fed tightens financial conditions materially. The Fed's belief that inflation will come back down to target from 6.8% in the next couple of years, while unemployment goes to 3.5%, as Fed funds are raised to 1.5%, has no historical precedent. Indeed, the great inflation that occurred in the late 70s was subsequent to then-chairman of the Federal Reserve, Arthur Burns, having a 5% funds rate in 1975 accompanied by a 6.7% inflation rate. So I'm skeptical that inflation will behave as the Fed expects 
with this policy they're suggesting the next couple of years. So like he right there, he's really saying that look, when it gets this high, it ain't coming down unless someone really takes away the punch bowl. And that's what Buffett Buffett says, like the Fed's job is to when the party gets too crazy, take away the punch bowl. Yeah. <laughs> like Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're not doing the job. The adult in the room. They're filling they're saying, the punch bowl up, they're actually. Saying, we don't want to upset the party. <laughs> like, you know, the party's good. Like everyone's happy. Like, why be negative? You know, well, if everyone gets too drunk and everyone's up sick, it's probably she probably should take away the punch bowl. Like it's not not a great idea. Yeah. So basically, we're still just as confident, if not more confident, than we were a few weeks ago. Um, we spoke to Tom and Frank. We're confident in our thesis. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, timing? Oh. How far, how long can this be pushed on for? We're listening to like um, a really old um, clip of David Einhorn talking about um, this company that he was sure called Allied Financial. And Allied Financial, from, from everything he said, like a total fraud. Like the examples that he quoted in that clip. So clear. So clear. Like, you know, so dodgy. And then we find out it took them seven years to go broke. So that's what really makes you think, Jesus, like these things can go on for so long because like you always say, love, like, and that's where I was always like focused on what should something be worth? Whereas your perspective is always like, yeah, but why will it? Why will it? Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I love it. It only will when people agree with you. Yeah. All the, the earnings, you know, the proof stacks up in reality. Yeah. So the position size of the shorts about four percent of the portfolio. So like with that portfolio that we have, like I feel very comfortable that it will, on average, deliver like close to twenty percent returns per year. So hopefully, all things going well, we have a drag of four percent until this thing pops. Because I don't think that um, you can ignore it. And like I was saying before, you know, you've now got Drucken. Not that you want to use this as a, you know your only argument, but when you've got Stan Drucken Miller. Not transitory. David Einhorn, not transitory. Bill Ackman, not transitory. Like, these are some of the fastest rising, smartest investors, you know. Um, they have their ups and downs and their good and bad times like every investor. But yeah, like, it makes you wonder. It makes you think, geez. Crazy stuff. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Um, anything else we're doing, love? Well, um, well, I guess people have asked to really know the intricate details of the options that we're taking out. Okay. So, I mean, I guess we're happy to share that, but, you know, with options, the timing that you are comfortable with and the price you're willing to pay for it yep. and all the technical details you have to figure out for yourself. Yeah. Um, all we can do is like because you have to you're the one who's sitting there holding this yes you know writing the ups and downs <laughs> yep, saying it saying um, you know and, and and if let's say if you if you have a 10 grand position then that 10 grand will be like 15 grand you know for three or four days and then it might be five or three or four days and it might be 20 and it might be seven like the volatility is large and you need to like ignore that if you're going to stay with it you know in the same way that if you had like a real-time quote of your car insurance policy like if you had a if, you, if there was a market for car insurance policies and there was like real-time location data on cars 
then the policy would probably change in price as cars drove through like more sketchy neighborhoods and they came into like good neighborhoods. Like, but would you like, would you ignore that or would you sell your car insurance? Like as you were driving through these places, like you probably wouldn't, you just ignore like, I'm good. I'm glad I have car insurance. Yeah. And that's kind of how we your overarching thesis needs to be what you pay attention to. So everyone needs their own way of calculating what they actually think the risk reward is. Yep. Do do, do you want to cover 50% drop in your portfolio? Do you want to be in a position where you want to make money off it, even if your portfolio doesn't decline? Like that's all different things people to consider for themselves. But the specific thing that we're doing is we now have a 4% position in nine-month expiration options on the TLT bond ETF. So that means I think it's September next year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when the insurance contract runs out. Um, the strike price, which means that um, yeah, it's basically the price needs to go below this to make any money off the options. The current um, price of the ETF is $148 and the strike price is $125. So we don't make any money until it falls past. So you're in the money at $125. $125. Then your option becomes you know, worth something. And then I think, I believe that the actual price of the option we bought is $1.60. So every time, once it goes past $125, um, every $1.60 it goes past, you're doubling in price. So from... If it goes from 125 to 100, so let's say the share price of the ETF falls from 150 to 100, then once it gets past 125, then you double your money every time it drops a dollar sixty, a dollar sixty, a dollar sixty. Exactly. So if it falls to 100 dollars, we make about 20 times our money on the option. So hopefully that's clear. Yeah, that's you know, what we've done for now. We've done for now. We could change our minds. It could, it could any change. <laughs> oh, but look, we're back in the HYG ETF. Yeah. That's the one who's going <laughs> to. I don't know. It, it's very tricky. But um, I think the original idea was okay. I just think this idea is better. So I do too. I'm yeah. much happier with that. Much happier. Yeah. Anything else, love? Um, yeah, no. I think that's a pretty good summary. Pretty good summary. Yeah. Thanks for listening and um, yeah, any questions, send them through. Yeah, thanks guys. Bye. Bye. If you got this far, thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation. Now, if you'd like to become my 22nd or my 43rd follower on Twitter, links are in the show notes below. Mitch, anything else? Nothing to add. <laughs>